All right, hello everyone. And uh, welcome, welcome to this uh, open class uh, for Signum University's class on C.S. Lewis and Mythologies of Love and Sex. I'm Brenton Dickerson. I'm going to be joined by Jason Lepoyarvi. Is that right? Perfect. Good. good. And uh, Diana Glyer, Diana Pavic Glyer, uh, who will be joining us in a few minutes, who is finishing up her class out in California, a different kind of coast than I know. I'm here on uh, Canada's uh, east coast. Uh, Jason's actually in in um, uh, Ontario. Oh. I called it Northern Ontario, but it's actually so, you know, middle uh, middle bottom third of Ontario. Uh, not really a coast unless we call the Great Lakes a coast. And uh, and so we're going to be uh, joining together in a discussion uh, in this hour, which we've opened up to the digital universe for you to join us. And we have dozens of people, dozens of names here. And we're going to try to combine two things. One is the open concept, uh, the massive online open concept of being able to talk about big ideas in front of the watching world. Uh, this will be recorded uh, also for uh, Signum University's YouTube channel. Uh, and, uh, and then, but also we're going to try and include uh, some intimacy with that as we would in a Signum University class. So bringing those two things together, we're going to do the crazy thing of after these kind of initial comments and some introductions and things, we're going to try and uh, open up the microphones as well as the online question box and, and give this a try to see if we can hold these uh, things together. I'm just going to check to make sure that uh, we are recording um, because that would be... Yes, good, excellent. And uh, yeah, so that that's great. Uh, so I'm going to introduce myself and uh, and then um, give a, a, some of the game rules for, for tonight. And then we'll do some introductions of our special guests. So good stuff. So I'm Brenton Dickinson. I'm one of the uh, profs at Signum University. And I have just completed a PhD in CS Lewis and spirituality, uh, uh, going through his entire works. And I'm excited to be able to, to teach at Signum, where we get to deep dive into uh, the works by people like C.S. Lewis, uh, but especially you know J.R. Tolkien, the Inklings, and some of the leading figures in fantasy uh, literature, uh, imaginative literature, speculative fiction, uh, and as well as some medieval and classical languages and literature. It's a it's a really amazing program. I'll give a plug for that a little later in in the. I almost said show in the hour. Uh, I'm thinking of this, I guess, kind of like a podcast. Um, and uh, and uh, so, yeah, so I'm pleased to be able to be a part of this. And you can always uh, check out uh, links uh, from uh, this event uh, on my blog at apilgrimandnernia.com, uh, as well as um, in the YouTube uh, channel of Signum University that will follow. So uh, tonight we're going to be joined uh, by a couple of, uh, of my friends and, uh, and scholars of C.S. Lewis and the Inklings, but I wanted to let you know, because this is an, an open classroom, we're going to try and take questions for those who want to by audio. As this is recorded, it means you'll be part of of uh, the the recording that will come later, which will be just fine. And so I want to test. I want to test the the hand raising event. So I'd love you to to give this a try. Open up your uh, your uh, GoToWebinar uh, dashboard, and I want you to raise your hand just so I can see see that you have figured out the hand raising feature. Look at that! Uh, that's just lighting up. The whole screen's lighting up there, uh, which is great. And so uh, I encourage you to um, 
Good. I encourage you to uh, to do that. And so that's how I know when we get to the open conversation, that's how I know you want to speak out loud. But you can at any moment uh, go ahead and put a question in the question box and I'll try and moderate all these things together and we'll do our best to keep the conversation going on Narnia and friendship. Uh, and so and hopefully we'll do this in a friendly way. All right, uh, Diana, do you want to give us a wave there? Hi, Good how stuff. you doing? Good. I've just been doing the 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 rules, letting people know that the session will be recorded and kind of how how it will work. Okay. And so now I want to do just a quick intro. Uh, both the mics of of our guests sound great. Uh, so we've got. Uh, um, uh, Jason Lepoyarvi, uh, who's now we've converted to Canadianism, uh, is uh, actually you're, you're you're half Canadian anyway, right? I am, yeah. yeah. My mom was yes. born in British Columbia. Yes, yes. We, and you lived in British Columbia for at least a year or two, right? So, yeah, just two years. Yes, that's right. Jason and I have shared some time at Regent College uh, in Van in beautiful Vancouver, and uh, and uh, we're right. pleased. Do you remember when we met? Do you remember where we met? I think it was Oxford, wasn't it? Yes, the Eagle and Child, possibly. Yeah, maybe that's we, right. Maybe we got some people jealous. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, they actually just announced, and I don't know that this is really the end of the world news, but they've just announced uh, at the that the Eagle and Child's opening a hotel uh, yeah. above and beside it. So if people are really interested in going to where you know, all these ideas of the Inklings were born, you're welcome to go ahead and, and do that. So uh, J Jason um, has uh, done his PhD in, in C.S. Lewis's Theology of Love. And so that's why we want to talk with him tonight. Um, and you were doing a research fellowship at Oxford when we met uh, and uh, um, did some talks with the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society. And now you're actually teaching uh, at Thornlow University, which is one of the collective of Laurentian's um, university uh, schools, right? So good. Excellent. And uh, and your husband and a father of three, which is really nice. And all, all, what I'll do is when I repost the video, I'll put uh, social media links for, for all, our, all our folks here as well. Now, Diana, uh, Diana Pavlik-Glyer is, uh, of course, a, uh, been a name in uh, C.S. Lewis uh, in Tolkien and Inkling Studies in a way that we had recognized for some time. The first bump, book I bumped into hers was The Company They Keep. Uh, and uh, uh, which is, uh, this is one of these, I may have said this to you before, but like, you know how some bands become like an overnight uh, a, a overnight success after 10 years on the road? And this is that kind of book, right? This is, uh, uh, became a real success after, you know, 20 years of, of work or something. Is that right? A Labor of Love, uh, a, great, a, a great example of deep dive uh, scholarship for people that want to look intimately at these things. Uh, and she'll speak uh, briefly uh, kind of about how this works from, from her perspective. And then also a popular uh, level uh, book uh, called uh, Bandersnatch, which also encourages people who are artists beyond just kind of inklings lovers, people who are artists who want to, to learn about collaboration and the development of art and writing and those sorts of things. So a beautifully written and designed book, actually, and read by uh, Michael Ward, I believe, in the audiobook. Is that right? Great. Yeah, good stuff. Excellent. So, and uh, and did you just come off uh, the C.S. Lewis retreat? Yeah, I was right? at uh, Montreat at the, I guess they're calling it an international symposium, which is code for uh, Doug Gresham was there from Malta. Yeah, uh, and we had uh, close to 600 people uh, there at that wow. event. It was really quite an extraordinary uh, thing in every way. It was great. We had a great time. 
that's re that's really intense actually i i've always wanted to go it's actually not terribly far in canadian driving terms just 20 hours or so drive from where i am and yet i just haven't been able to get there midterm uh both there yeah but and uh, uh uh someone notes here both are scholars tonight we're keynote speakers our keynote speakers at taylor this coming summer right the cs lewis and friends conference that's coming up at taylor university both of you are on the ticket i believe is that right my first time, Brenton, but you, you said somewhere that this is your favorite Inklings conference. Yeah, that, yeah. Tell, tell us more, like why, why, why do you like it so much? Well, I think, I think, I think any academic conference you're going to get, you know, great papers, you know, big ideas and that sort of thing. What Taylor does, uh, which I, I really appreciate, I don't, I, I don't know how intentional this is or how accidental this is, but Taylor University with their uh, C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald and Inklings archive, and then the C.S. Lewis and Inklings Society together have created a, a kind of culture where, you know, senior scholars go and they don't just kind of pop in for a keynote, but they they sit and have lunch with people. They walk with younger scholars. There's there's an entire Young Inklings Day that that precedes wow. the conference, which is about encouraging uh, critical thought and creativity um, in scholarship. Uh, in speculative literature and other things, and so and archival work. So it's just it's just such a, a generous spirit, and uh, I, I know in scholarship um, we we may sometimes lack critical thought, um, but we very often lack <laughs> a generous spirit. And and uh, I don't know, Diana, you've been there uh, at least a couple of times. Is that your experience as well? I think I think you said that very well. Uh, there is a, a, a sense of the tribe sort of coming together. There's a great sense of encouragement for new ideas and new papers. Uh, I think there's also a, a wonderful um, creativity. There's often theater, there's music. Um, goodness, there's sometimes even swing dancing. And uh, it's a lot of fun to be able to celebrate and play and feast together, as well as to study and think uh, and and argue and engage together. And so you see uh, uh, all of that sort of happening there. I, I think it's an extraordinary thing. I'm excited about this coming uh, event uh, for a number of reasons, but one is that I'll get to talk more about my research on Warren Lewis. Mm -hmm. And um, with a little hope and prayer, uh, my book about Warren Lewis's relationship uh, with a, um, a missionary doctor, uh, mm -hmm. Lucy Blanche Biggs was her name. Uh, that book should be ready to release sometime. Uh, it'll be pretty close, but we'll see if we can get that, uh, that ready for that conference. That's right, yeah, uh -huh. good, thank That's you. Good. That's really yeah. cool. Um, yeah. And uh, well, there's a spot in, in Lewis scholarship. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And we have had, if you actually look at the keynotes over the years, um, um, they'll, they'll will typically be somebody who's filling in one of these spaces that we don't always tend to, to emphasize. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and the, I think that's a, the, the name CS Lewis and Friends is nice actually for what we're talking about tonight. Yeah. But, yeah, but to create kind of a, a bigger tent image of of what mm -hmm. we can possibly talk about. So a couple of years, I I, I used L. M. Montgomery and CS Lewis in conversation, which is not a terribly typical. No. You know, partnership yeah so um it's it's uh but it invites that sort of thing yeah and and, and rich uh, uh rich who is a professor at another university and a signum student uh, we met at at this this conference one of my students and and uh, he says don't forget the shenanigans you know the you know, <laughs> The, the late night events and the you know the receptions and the dinners and the, and uh, um, the the music and there was a great kind of a trio uh, uh, last year time and so it's a, it's a it's a great event it's it's lots oh. of fun 
Uh, I'd encourage everyone who's listening to go and look up the uh, the event. And like Brenton said, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, writing contests and paper proposals and bursaries out there um, to help offset the costs. So I've been trying to encourage my own students to send in paper proposals. And so I, I really encourage you to go or join us. There you go. And only a 26 hour drive from Prince Edward Island. So it's pretty close. <laughs> you can get from Europe to, you know, Af Africa. <laughs> That's true. But with a little, little more cost and, uh, you know, a, a little less kind of comfort, I'm sure. So, and Emily here says, who's a, who's an artist who's had her work shown at, at, the conference and we may have met uh, for the first time emily at the conference notes that it's on her calendar so we're looking forward to, to that sort of thing next year so so good stuff well let's let's uh I, we could probably chat about um life the universe and everything for the whole hour um but but let's 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 get into our topic and 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 it's actually not inauthentic to do that right given that we're talking about friendship to, to sit and chat or even argue about things would, would be within i think the way that um, the people we read imagine friendship. Um, and so I wanted to just just quickly, uh, just as uh, to make sure everybody's kind of signed in, I just wanted to note, and, and this is really less of sort of a, a mini lecture and more of a chance just to kind of uh, uh, point out what is sometimes amiss or sometimes not noted in reading Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Let me just share my, share my screen here. Um, and and it's that the, the you could you could really go a lot of places on friendship and C.S. Lewis. I would argue that it's actually one of the critical frameworks that he uses both instinctively and overtly throughout all his work in different kinds of ways. And we'll have Jason and Diana touch on that here in a moment. But just in in terms of of uh, Narnia and not his science fiction till we uh, that hideous strength I think is is designed as a as a friendship question book uh, till we have faces I think has some beautiful ideas and thoughts about friendship but uh, I wanted to go to the voyage of Don Treader because I think the whole thing is actually structured to think about friendship from the very first page. Um, and I hope this is coming across for you folks because I've got little boxes covering all my stuff here. From the very first page, we have, you know, Eustace Clarence Scrub, who, uh, you know, uh, the narrator can't tell you what his friends thought of him because he had no friends. And so this is, you, you, Lewis doesn't always write very amazing first paragraph of Narnia books, right? That's not always his best writing, but they're always important things to look at right from the beginning. And uh, and you're going to find the friendship theme all the all the way through um, to, you know, to this to this critical point of Reepicheep who says, you know, friendship and honor are actually, uh, that, that's the way that Reepicheep understands fealty uh, and, and uh, is through friendship. That's the framework. But it's actually kind of, I think, bound into all this, the, the quest that the Narnians must go on, that they're joined by these, these human, this human family, uh, Eustace and, and the two Bevensies. This quest is actually to find his father's friends, Caspian's father's friends, uh, not just the lords of the land, not people that he had responsibility to, but actually uh, friends. And Caspian, when he addresses his crew, uh, he calls them friends. This is this is how he understands uh, kingship is actually as as a kind and, and 
I don't know, uh, his work as a, a sort of king captain is through through friendship. Uh, it's a kind of a critical moment, um, <laughs> you know, including in the battle. You know, now for it, friends. You know, raise your swords. It's time. It's time for us. It's time for us to go uh, in, into this moment. Uh, and uh, and Edmund, when he when they meet Ramandu's daughter, there's this question: How do we know you're our friend? It's not how do we know that this is safe, or how do we know whose side you're on, but how do you know we're unfriend? And I don't want to take much more time to go through, uh, but to to because you know it, I, I want to note just a, a couple of really kind of. Um, poignant moments when it comes to friendship, because I think friendship is one of the frameworks of the book. You know, uh, Eustace was terrible. It, he didn't just have no friends, you know, because of the circumstances, but because he was, you know, a terrible human being, right? In a lot, in a lot of ways. But of course, when he becomes a beast, he actually becomes less beastly to others. And he becomes a more human kind of a friend. And it's when he's finally by himself, left alone, that he finds that he wanted to be friends. He wanted to be back among humans and to share things with them. And so there's this lovely kind of upside downness that takes place uh, in the text. And and actually, it turns out that Eustace is a better friend to the to the ship. He's always avoiding work, always causing trouble. But when he becomes a dragon, when he's least actually capable uh, he uh, at offering uh, friendship in normal ways, he becomes a, a better friend. Um, and actually not a bad friend to the beast that he kills for them either. Apparently he does that quickly enough that uh, it, there's there's some some humane, humaneness there as well. Um, but a friendship can go wrong. Remember Lucy, uh, if you watch Lucy and friendship all the way through that, I think that's how she negotiates her leadership in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is through friendship, quite unusually as a, as a girl on a ship of men um, and a few boys. Uh, in a few other animals that are male. Uh, and so that's an, an important kind of category. But Lucy, of course, breaks. She reads a spell about what her friends think of her, and that actually breaks friendship. So there are moments where friendship can 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 falter. The friends are at one point uh, in danger on Goldwater Island or Deathwater Island. They're in danger of, of fighting one another. So there are moments that friendship uh, can break. Um, but uh, friendship remains kind of the the critical question uh, in this. And I think one of the loveliest moments, um, you know, reap a cheap, uh, they're trying to decide what to do with the dragon that's kind of, you know, uh, uh, landed on their shores and Eustace, who's, who's, a, who's a problem, and Reap says, you know, this creature is no friend of mine, but he is the queen's blood. And while he is one of our fellowship, it concerns us to find him and avenge him if he is dead. So there's this loyalty, but then Reepicheep then moves in upon this and he actually becomes a friend to the to the sad dragon. And so there's this moment and and uh, one of the pictures I used online was the picture of Reepicheep and the dragon sitting side by side uh, and Reepicheep telling stories to the dragon who's who's in quite a sad state. Uh, he's unable to undragon himself um, and so he needs friendship. And so I think that uh, I'll leave you to to explore the text yourself. I think it's a it's a a, a lovely way of reading, rereading the text, but um, just to kind of highlight the importance that friendship has. And Lewis is writing this for children at a children's level. I think that this is a, a deeper, more resonant theme. And so let's actually let's actually begin with Jason. Do you want to just uh, fairly briefly address for us your concept? of uh, friendship and and 
Yeah, yeah. And Takako says, you know, uh, the the Lucy's friend in the sea, right? Remember, she looks down over the the edge of the boat and she sees this young girl, and it's as if she can, you know, she sees her and she knows that if they were to meet in real life, if there was not like the lid of the ocean between them, uh, that that if they were not different kinds of creatures that couldn't live in one another's environment, they would run up to each other and hold each other's hands and be friends. And so Lucy's capacity for friendship, I think, is pretty pretty clear in 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 the text. And that's actually where her power comes from. Before Aslan shows up in Deathwater Island, where when the boys are fighting, she says, you know, folks. You know, she she steps in and tries to to separate them, uh, and she actually uses it in kind of a manipulative way when Caspian wants to go to the end of the world, and and uh, and she says, "Well, Caspian, didn't you kind of say to R Ramadu's daughter, you know, didn't you almost, you know?" So there, she she has this kind of very relational way of leadership that I think is valuable, um, uh, and and hard won if you read Pr Prince Caspian, uh, her leadership. It takes a while for people to value her as a leader. So yeah, I think that's that's also worth worth noting. All right, Jason, do you want to just speak to what does friendship mean sort of philosophically, the, theologically for Lewis and, 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 and where the source material for that is? Well, see, I wasn't brought up a Narmian. So I was in my mid-20s when I, when I first read the Chronicles. I read other books um, by Lewis. I started reading him in, when I was 19 or 20 during my military year. And I brought a couple of books. I'll, sh I'll show them to you. They're quite funny. But so I'm in my mid-20s when I start reading Narnia. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm late. I'm late in the game. <laughs> and, and so I'm, every time I read it, um, I learn new things. Uh, like now, um, I haven't really given much thought about on, uh, thought on friendship in Narnia. And so, and you've got wonderful, searchable, uh, electronic <laughs> versions of all the books by by Inklings and Beyonds. And so you punch in friends and all these wonderful quotes or friendship quotes appear. And they're very interesting. It was, a thought came to me, because you asked about the philosophical understanding of friendship, especially in the four loves. Not many of those passages that we just saw or highlighted reminded me of philia in the four loves. Um, that may be maybe a master's thesis <laughs> for one of your students because, so the hypothesis, hypothesis would be that Lewis uses friendship, quote unquote, very loosely in Narnia. Whereas in, in the, the Four Loves, it has a much more narrower, more defined um, uh, meaning. And so maybe what Lewis calls camaraderie or companionship in the Four Loves, he calls friendship quite liberally in, in Narnia. And so it might be, I've, it not might, it would be really interesting to analyze the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and to try and differentiate where does philia, the, the, the virtue, the love of friendship, um, when, when does their relationships actually rise to friendship with a capital F and not, not just simply allies or a, or a good body or buddy or trust, trustworthy? Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? 
Oh, I think that I th I think that's actually a great question, and I just want to I anticipated you might say something um, something like I'll just put this back on the screen here. Because um, we remember that the key key characteristics of characteristic of philia and the four loves was this that the mutual passions or interests um, um, that form the matrix of friendship. It, not enough to be a, a good person and to um, um, just be, a, yeah, a good person, like a good good lover, um, kind to the other. For the relationships in Narnia to be philia, the friends in question should be joined <clears throat> by a, a common passion or an interest. Um, yeah, Diana. Do you think that a common quest is not enough of a common passion? Um, you, you talk about camaraderie, and I think that that's an important distinction. But I wonder if as a quest, which they're on, as a quest unfolds, doesn't that naturally draw people into a kind of friendship, of mutuality that they may not have had when they set out? I think so. I think it gives it, it, a lot. Well, Maybe I would say that um, a quest is like the matrix of a friendship. So from a quest, a friendship can arise, but a quest is 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 um, the children are, find themselves, or many of the other characters find themselves in a quest, uninvited quest. They didn't choose the friends; they're just thrown into this story. And so it's almost like to use an analogy, you don't choose your, your schoolmates or your classmates when you're in elementary school. And so, and so some of them become friends, but I think Lewis says somewhere that, you know, you meet, you meet someone who was your friend 20 years ago in school or whatnot, or military, and, and then you realize that huh, we have nothing in common. Once the quest is over, um, we don't really want to hang out together anymore. So I don't know. Um, maybe. I, I think I think you're right that not all quests right end up that way. But this one seems to me to be about a shared value. Um, I think it starts with a little bit of a sense of adventure. Uh, you know, they are they're they're out to see what they can find. They're out to explore these islands and so on. But I think that there is a, a shared sense of the importance of these people. And the value that they have in in locating them and hearing their stories, and I think that that itself becomes a kind of thing that gives a focal point that does in fact draw them together. Yeah, I, I suppose we could look at, or we should look at, individual relationships within the voyage or the other chronicles, and and take them by by a case by case. Um, mm. And so, yeah, maybe we maybe some of them have all the potential of. Uh, of blossoming into like a something more permanent and lasting, uh, which doesn't wither away or is forgotten once the peril is over and you return home. Yeah. Yeah, but what you're talking about is more than a master's thesis. That's going to be someone's doctoral dissertation. <laughs> well, we're always open. You got to start somewhere. Start with one book and then uh, and then expand. 
Well, feel free, folks, if you're looking to do a master's or a PhD, reach out to these folks here. Uh, and then I, and of course, you know, Signum University does do a thesis-based master's where we we value this sort of uh, deep dive. What I appreciate, what I appreciate about this, so we have Kate here. So twice Kate kind of anticipated where we're going. So just before Diana spoke, she said, or a quest, like asking the question, you know, <laughs> what about a quest? So it's exactly kind of the thing we were saying. And then just before that, she said, you know, well, in Four Loves, the idea of friends is sharing a vision outwards as opposed to lovers gazing at each other face to face, which is the quite literally the quotation that I have on the screen, you know, the natural poster posture of lovers is face to face, but friends walk side by side, eyes looking ahead, and then mentions that questy stuff. You won't find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian, you know, looking in each other's eyes, you know, but, uh, you know, fight with him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. This is kind of, these are the, these are the activities of friendship. But, uh, but what I like about friendship, I mean, about quest, um, yeah. the, Diana brought up and others anticipate that is that um, very often when when Lewis's understanding of friendship is discussed, um, some people have a kind of a high a, their view of Lewis's understanding of friendship is a highbrow view, like friendship is just intellectual friendship, friendship among dons who like literature and and types. But if you read it carefully, Lewis says that the things that can join friends, can be domino, what was it? Dominoes or white mice or stamp collecting, right? These are very highbrow hobbies or interests. And so what I like about Quest is that kind of, um, you're thinking out of the box, you're expanding, you're reminding us that quite like the, the number of things that can uh, bring friends together and glue them together. They're innumerable. There's so many things. And yeah. so I remember several conversations, often with women, in fact, where they say, although my mom, my mother thought um, that the chapter on Philia was the best. She thought it was her, it was her favorite chapter in The Four Loves, the one on friendship. Um, but many others, have said that um, that well, Lewis has a blind spot here. That you know, when I talk to my friends, we don't need to talk about a subject. We we just we talk about our families and children and our lives and our like our personal growth. And so yeah. I don't think Lewis's understanding of friendship is is correct without realizing that, well, they just listed these things that unite them, their family, their situation <laughs> with small children or, or, yeah. or their struggle or, or their personality development challenges or, or whatnot. These are actually, they, they actually corroborate, they support Lewis's understanding of friendship and don't, don't contradict it really. Yeah. So yeah, um, Quest, yeah, um, just another, another, thing that can unite it's not even yeah we don't think about um because quest is more abstract than dominoes right yeah yeah, yeah i when we were at the um the montreat symposium i had the privilege of listening to some of hal poe's observations and he he made a note that uh has i've been really thinking about ever since he helped to clarify something kind of important for me he was trying to wrestle with the question of why it is that Lewis spends so little time 
um, talking about his wartime trauma, right? And so, and so much time talking about the, the difficulty that he had in school. Uh, this is something that Lewis scholars have been kind of puzzling over and wrestling with. And, and often what's said is that Lewis is somehow suppressing his wartime experience in some way. And I think that Hal made a really important observation, and that's that what made Lewis's school experience so traumatic for him was his isolation, that he had not found his tribe. He didn't find the others that he connected with. He was bullied. He was isolated. He didn't play sports. He wasn't included. Uh, and the, that incredible day after day kind of loneliness uh, and standing alone and feeling like you don't fit in and don't belong, in part because of his spectacular intellect, right, um, and the dullness of the educational opportunities there. And what Hal observed, and I think this is really interesting, is that when Lewis was on the, the front lines, when he was in the trenches, he became part of something. He was included in something. And Hal believes that that experience was so astonishing and healing and helpful to be a member of a group where he was valued and his part uh, was valued. In fact, because, um, I guess one might say because of some accidental experiences more time, he was actually sort of a hero. Uh, and he hadn't played that role. He wasn't the sports guy who made the touchdown. You know, he wasn't the, the star of the team in other settings. And so uh, it is astonishing to think about how important friendship is. Uh, Hal's theory, and I, I think it's really worth chewing on, is that Lewis's um, experience of finding friends within that wartime experience elevated that from trauma to something that was actually rather healing and helpful and hopeful for him in a lot of ways. The difference between Lewis and Tolkien and their wartime differences in terms of their friendships, there, there is a difference. Lewis's friends died, <laughs> so it's hard yes. to evaluate if um, it's hard to evaluate, assess that because that the idea that he developed friendships in the context of a quest, which was war, right. friendships lasted because these friends don't exist anymore. They died. So we don't really, we can't really test that <laughs> hypothesis really. Uh, but, but with Tolkien, um, there's a different problem that hinders our evaluation of that hypothesis. And it's that he went into the war largely with the fr with the friends that he he exited the war. Right, mm -hmm. two of them died, but one one didn't, and they remained friends. But kind of later on estranged. Mm -hmm. So I can't like I can't really pin I can't um, think of actual friends that they made. Uh, mm -hmm. in, lasting friendships that they made during the war. Um, I'm sure the the connection gave them a sense of meaning and, and right. like like um, you conveyed th um, from Hal that this meaning allowed them to recover quickly from the trauma, unlike mm -hmm. childhood experiences. It might be it might be more accurate to call it belonging rather than friendship. Yeah. I don't know, but I think that yeah. Lewis was starved for it. 
yeah. because of these school experiences. It's something significant. There's so, there's something there, and I and I hope to to discover yeah. more about its nature. But I think it's a it's a good observation. It's a good direction to head in. Yeah. He's also, we should remember too, like Lewis was hiding his experience from the people that were his friends, his brother, his best friend, his father, you know, the, the very few people that he, he knew. He, um, I read, uh, 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 you know, his, his, his best friend, Arthur, I read his journals from the World War I period. And yeah, and Lewis wasn't telling him everything that was going on. We know that from the letters, but it was clear that uh, that Arthur was figuring this out and, and his brief notes, uh, just the relief that comes off the page when when uh, when Lewis finally shows up back home on, on Christmas, actually, at, at the end uh, of the war. And so uh, it's a really kind of lovely, a lovely moment. And, and actually how deeply lonely Arthur is, actually, mm -hmm. uh, almost pathologically lonely he is during yeah. that period. Um, so we, we can keep chatting. Um, there's two things I, I want to, to note. One is that we have a whole bunch of comments here already from students. And so I want to, to do our best to moderate those. We won't be able to include all students, but we want to make this kind of as fun, as connected as possible. We want to play this forward and give uh, Diana a chance to kind of make the, the links as you want, Diana. You can you know, make the links to your work and particularly to uh, creative endeavors or, you know, uh, to moving the things that are the center of us back out into the world, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so make sure that you, you keep those, those things as part uh, of the lesson there beyond kind of general knowledge. Um, and we do have a bit of a, we do have a bit of a joke in our, our class about how, how long in a non Jarotoking class does it take to mention one of Tolkien's works, uh, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a, a thing, and it didn't take long in our discussion to kind of go there. It's maybe a bit bigger than we want, um, but but just some 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 thoughts here. There's some uh, kind of positive comments back on about Diana's uh, comments and work and and Jason's, uh, you know, from Donald and Kate here. And I also want to know Gabriel, uh, P Professor Shank, actually, uh, you know, he, he notes, uh, he sees the Voyages on Treaders negotiating friendship is an, the word that he wants he wants to be used um and and he he says you know there's camaraderie but you know when you compare it to four loves is sort of a different thing we think of the friendship and surprised by joy uh and then Tolkien, he he draws in Tolkien, and i, I use the image somewhere of venn diagrams of friendship right so like all the people are on the quest but not all the people are friends but not all the people that are friends are on a quest right and so there's these kind of kind of moments where friendship deepens and so i wonder if if we can we can then read sort of philosophies of friendship and depth back into what happens in what is a pretty brief text the voyage of the dawn treader is the longest of them and is still of of, of the narnian chronicles and still a fairly quickly quick moving uh, it's a very quick moving um piece of work. Uh, uh, Chris says, uh, I, I think Eustace, Lucy, and Edmund become friends, not just cousins. So, so that's an interesting thing. We always have this renegotiation of what friendship means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes because of their relationship with Aslan. So there's actually, there's the quest, but then there's this kind of third, this third uh, idea that Aslan draws them together into a unit, which I think um, Christine gives us that, that nice note there. Um, Lewis's experience were quite to the contrasts. Uh, so Kate wants to agree with Jason on some of the, the TCBS and Tokens friendships versus Lewis. Um, yeah, and, and Daniel kind of notes that as well about the generation. They didn't talk about war. So, you know, there was that. Um, yeah, uh, we're using in Canada, we're using a, um, 
holograph, holo, you know, hollow people to, to try and tell the stories of war to children that don't, have never met somebody who, who fought in World War One or World War Two, uh, to try and keep those stories alive and engaged. Um, and Kate says she'd like to see Diana talk about the idea of the quest when it comes to writing, creating, and, and friendship and fellowship. So, um, so that would make a great kind of transition if you want to just speak to that for a moment, Diana. And and as as she does that, as she prepares the lecture she's about to give <laughs> there, um, I, I will invite, we're going to kind of open this up to, <laughs> to, to what may fall apart. We've got dozens of names here on my screen. Um, I would uh, feel free to open this up you can make comments and we'll get to as many of them as and questions especially for our panelists uh, um, uh, as you can in the question box or if you'd like to speak out loud I would encourage you to have if you can um, an earbud in your ear just so that we don't get any echoes that may come from opening up the microphones but if you raise your hand I'll try and get to you and to your comments um, if if it just moves on or you don't want to ask it that if you just you can unraise your hand you can just tap on the little button there and the hand will disappear so we're going to give this a try. We haven't don't usually do this with dozens of people, but we, we'd love to. We'd rather try and fail than than not try at all. So Diana, do you want to speak to that idea of uh, quest, friendship, process of writing, or art creation, or or other vocational aspects? Sure, I'm I'm, I'm happy to. I want to uh, commend you though for working out all of the logistics of this complicated situation. It's pretty exciting to be in so many different places, and yeah, yet and together and tied together in this way. And we have people from. California to uh, to Japan right now on on this session, so it's quite a lot. And I do have to apologize. I had like a pretty major Charlie horse uh, during Jason's uh, little little <laughs> moment there, and so I'm sitting here dying. <laughs> like I muted my microphone. I almost made the screen go away, but I didn't want to make people panic. And so now I'm okay now, but uh, but uh, uh, there are things that are caught on camera that you don't always want caught on camera, I suppose. So yeah, uh, yeah, content is so good, it gives you a Charlie horse, someone comments here. Yeah, that's thanks, Rich, yeah. All right, go ahead, Diana. Especially when you're talking about the Inklings, I think that talking about the creative process, the process of writing The Lord of the Rings, or the process of writing a novel, or even a nonfiction book, I think that it's very fair to talk about that as a kind of quest, where you have a grand adventure, you have obstacles to overcome, and persistence is one of the key virtues to get you through. And in order to do that, you need friends. And, uh, and I love thinking very capaciously about the idea of collaborators. When I think about Lewis, one of the things about Lewis as a collaborator, I like to uh, remember that he was born into collaboration, that he and his brother Warney began collaborating together as soon as Lewis was able to do much of anything, talking, writing, drawing, telling stories. In the little end room at Little Lee, there they are, and they are creating worlds up there. They're drawing maps with trade routes and an extensive uh, kind of world building, the kind of thing that Tolkien himself would be proud of, I think, if he had known more about Boxen and Animal Land and India and these wonderful creative worlds. And so C.S. Lewis's creative imagination really is kindled in the context of this friendship with his brother, the shared worlds that they created and the ways that they integrated their stories into one another. That becomes um, fuller and uh, more mature, more sophisticated in his relationship with the Inklings and the various web of connection. Uh, that really becomes such an important aspect, I think, to um, all of these writers in, in many ways. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's, and I love, uh, you have a number of categories for thinking about it, but the, the collaborators and resonators, like those images still 
um, re resonate for me. Um, thinking, <laughs> yeah, thinking about it, yeah. And of course, Lewis, though, you know, was warned. Like when we think about the four loves, you know, you know, Storge being family love, Philia being friendship love. Does Warren just remain in the Storge? No, there's this kind of not just an agape transformation, but there's also a friendship uh, that develops there. And uh, same with Joy Davidman begins as this, you know, friendship love becomes something different. So even Lewis's own categories kind of fall apart a little bit. It's just something I just thought of. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. there we go. Yeah. So yeah, they don't fall apart so much as they begin to blend, and I think that that may be a little bit different. This we have to use language, right, to uh, to categorize and describe things. One of my one of my great teachers used to always say that taxonomies or labels or categories they always reveal certain things and obscure other things, and yeah. so they are useful for communication. And I think that uh, how many, however many Greek words for love you might want to focus on, I think that this language does help us to describe and to observe certain things. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't yeah. Lewis himself warn us about murdering to dissect? Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Times, uh, these are conceptual distinctions. Um, reality is organic, so don't kill the object of your study. Remember always that these right. are. Uh, yeah. I like uh, it's it's a gruesome analogy. This idea of dissecting a frog in a lab in a science lab and codifying the various limbs. There's a heart, there's a lung, there's a, but you end up killing it. <laughs> so yeah. it's good, good yeah. to remember. But, but if, if you're careful, it, it's a, it looks like a lot more like um, an auto mechanic, right? Who can remove the muffler or the carburetor or all four tires. And at the That's end of the day, that car still runs, right? So there's, a way, better. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good way to do really good literary analysis that isn't death dealing. I like that, Diane. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that. So <laughs> the, the limitations of the, of the dying frog are corrected in Diana's auto, me auto mechanic. <laughs> That's very good. I'm not being sarcastic. That's very good. Takes Hopefully it out, but is able to reassemble it. And, yeah. uh, and because of these distinctions, it hopefully works even better after the reassembly. Yeah, well, and hopefully the high school dissection class ultimately leads to the surgeons that do the real surgeries that we need, right? So, the uh, um, it, it's it's it, it, it's a neat image, but of course we've we've read literary critics who are who are, who are vivisectionists, right? Not yes, just murdering to dissect, absolutely. But actually, but actually pulling, cracking open the chest on the table, um, um, etherized or otherwise. Uh, so, f so following up on this, um, so, so there's some nice comments here. And folks, if you want to uh, speak, speak your voice out. I think um, we need maybe a courageous person to be the first one to do that. So you can do that. Uh, a funny image, Kate says, that popped into her head was Lewis as Reepicheep sitting next to the dragonish Tolkien who despaired of ever getting his Middle Earth out of his head. <laughs> And and into the real world, and I think I think there's kind of a, a nice a nice moment there. Uh, although we can't we can't always say the same about Tolkien when it came to Narnian encouragement, can we, uh, Diana? Uh, no. no. Well, no. Since, since we're on Tolkien, just to humor the Tolkien fans out there, what do you think <laughs> about what do you what do you think about Tolkien's family relationships? Did any? How many? Did any of them rise to the level of Philip? Like. With Lewis and and Warney, um, obvious brothers, but really they're friends. How about Tolkien and his relationships to the people in his family? What would you say? Were any of them real friendships? 
Are you thinking of um, uh, Christopher uh, as a possibility? Possibly, yeah. Maybe even Priscilla to some extent. Mm -hmm. I have my doubts about um, Edith, <laughs> as as blasphemous as that sounds, but that sounds blasphemous. That, yeah, no, I think I think they were they were in love. They had eros. They had storge. But did they have philia? Were they were they passionate about? I suppose insofar as they were pass, passionate about their children and thrived in, in collaboration and discussion about them and their future and their personalities, they had philia. But what else? What else? <laughs> we have, well, you know we, that we, better. Do know, we do know that Tolkien shared a lot of his stories, a lot of his poetry, and particularly with, a lot of things that we think of as being part of the Silmarillion with her. Hmm. So she was familiar with that. She typed uh, manuscripts, but then you know that's not necessarily an important part. Um, when I when I talk about the inklings, I talk about the importance of resonators. Um, Brighton, you were you were kind enough to use that word before. When the um, uh, the the idea of a resonator is somebody who basically kind of vibrates at the same frequency, or I like to define it as someone who fundamentally understands what you're attempting and devotes themselves sacrificially and persistently to help you get there. And I think in that sense, she was a resonator. She may have not had a really deep and profound understanding of all that, that Tolkien had envisioned for Middle-earth, but I think she understood the essence of it or the nature of it. I think she resonated with it, and she resonated with that picture of the kind of world he wanted to build and the kind of character that were would be embodied in the stories that he would tell. Uh, and I, I think she got it. And I think she did, in fact, devote herself to his success. Yeah. So I think I think it's, uh, and of course, we get a bunch of reactions as soon as Jason said that. Uh, so a bunch of people said Christopher as uh, sort of philia. And, and of course, we don't know that philia is the best way to fill out a, a family relationship, a story relationship. Um, but it is a way that certainly Lewis would would find profound and meaningful. Christopher certainly, but then when you said I don't know, but Edith, you know, uh, Trevor here wrote my dear man, you know, like, you know, like uh, and, he called yeah, her my little one. That's right. And and Kate reminds one. Kate reminds that it does begin in the boarding house as probably something more like teenage friendship or something like that, and and uh, uh, Gabriel says you know that they shared. Um, Tellers and, and Edith shared novels, so they actually there was a sort of a casualness to, to their reading. Um, and so some of the letters, uh, Kate writes, some of the letters to CT read like a friend rather than just a, a father's son. This is Christopher Tolkien. So, um, particularly I think at war, there was uh, there was an intensification of the relationship. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so good. So we got our first hand up. This is, uh, actually, Gabriel, this is a great. Um, yeah, and, and of course, Noam is asking, you know, I'll hold that question, Noam, because that's a that's a really great question. Gabriel, I'm going to have uh, Professor Shank here go ahead and uh, and speak his voice up. And so he'll, he'll be the one that tests the waters here on this one. Go ahead, Gabriel. Uh, hi, Brenton. Hi, Jason. And hi, Dinah. Um, thank you very much for the talk. I just, it's a thought popped into my head about um, thinking about Lewis's friendships and thinking about Owen Barfield. Um, and also Arthur Greaves, um, two kind of lifelong friends uh, who he kept up with throughout his life and, and who had kind of profound influences on him. 
Um, and, and both were at such a distance as well. I mean, Barfield came to Oxford when he could, but mostly he was sort of tied up in London and yet no less of a, an influence and um, in a similar, in a kind of different way, but a but similar thing with Arthur Greaves in Ireland, um, them seeing each other when they could. And so I just I just thought I'd mention that because um, we do think of sort of friendship as being together and certainly the inklings of being together um, and being able to see each other at least twice a week. And certainly there were those friendships with Charles Williams and, um, you know, talking and Roger Lancelin Green and so on. Um, but that distance as well um, is just as vital um, in, in friendship for Lewis, I think, in, in thinking about his life and thinking about Narnia as well. Um, that idea with Eustace and not in the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but in um, Silver Chair, uh, the Silver Chair, yeah, and thinking about the Pevensies who he's away from, um, but sort of this sort of sense of like there's a kind of almost like a chivalric order of people who've been to Narnia. Um, mm -hmm. That's the kind of camaraderie, even though they're not together. They're, they're united through Aslan. Um, and I just sort of wanted to flag that up and, and hear from the panel what, what your thoughts were about that kind of friendship in mm. through distance. Yeah, thanks, Gabriel. That's a great question. And people should know that Professor Schenk is an expert on chivalric literature and Arthurian romance. Uh, uh, so um, so that's good. Uh, thank you, Gabriel. That's great. Uh, do either of you want to address that? And I also have like three or four great questions here in this panel. So go ahead. Yeah. I'll, I'll observe just really quickly um, how much time Lewis spent writing letters to people. And uh, so this idea of there being connections and vital connections with people that you'd even never met uh, was something that he was familiar with. And so I think that that's a really interesting kind of slice or way to look at things. D distance, um, you mentioned the word distance. I wonder if it's, did, did Lewis, was he able to foster, develop relationships despite distance or partly because of distance? <laughs> or is it a combination of both? Um, in itself, from his understanding of friendship, does not follow that you need to physically necessarily hang out all the time or often. Um, so, distance doesn't seem to be a, a hindrance. It doesn't seem to bar filia in any way, necessarily. I suppose in, in Eros, maybe it, it applies to other forms of love as well, but distance sometimes adds value. Um, and uh, it can, yeah. Yeah, it adds value to the relationship. Yeah, I would I would observe in terms of the two people that were mentioned, Owen Barfield and um, Arthur Greaves, that those were friends that began uh, in proximity, right? So with Owen Barfield, they are they become friends because they're exact contemporaries and they're in school together. So I don't remember, Jason, what the word was that you used, but there's a kind of scaffolding that these uh, matrix that these kinds of situations. Um, can can uh, enable, I guess I would say. Uh, and for those two friendships, they began in that way, in that way with that kind of a matrix or a scaffolding uh, and then developed from there and were maintained from that um, 
I want to say almost like an established route, right? So it's continued on past that, but uh, that's not the only experience of it. And, and with Joy Davidman, of course, it starts the the opposite right. way. Yeah, they start uh, quite distant and then it grows. So uh, he seems to have had a great capacity for friendship under a variety of, of terms and situations. Let me Let me turn that a little from distance, which I think you could see kind of a really literary um, lecture kind of come out of that image if 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 Gabriel took the time to kind of let that play out and and go to something Alicia or Alicia says here, which is the idea of darkness. You know, for me, she says the most moving passages about Narnia are the darkest parts, Lucy and Susan after Aslan dies or the members of Tyrion's army on the night before the battle. Can you uh, speak about how um, how Lewis, uh, I lost part of the question here, how Lewis portrays uh, friendship. Um, and uh, I, I, I can't quite get all the questions. It's a limitation of go to a webinar that sometimes things are cut off. But uh, how Lewis portrays question, uh, uh, friendship when it comes to darkness, I think would be the, the question. I think it's a good, it's a good idea. Yeah, I just can't make the question bigger. I don't know what happened to the rest of it. So, uh, and Alicia or Alicia, if you could, if I've if I've mangled your question, you can just go ahead and follow up here, um, and I'll I'll try and get it right. Go ahead. What do you think about darkness? Uh, basically, um, did you want to speak that aloud, Alicia, or or? Unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, you, you got most of it. But basically, um, could you talk about how Lewis portrays friendship in times of suffering? Um, just, I don't, especially those those dark parts. And it's funny, a lot of the times of suffering are very quiet for him. Like, they're times of waiting, they're times of grief. Um, so, yeah, I wondered if you had any, any thoughts about that. Good. Thank you. Mm. It's a difficult question. It is uh, a difficult one. I, what comes to mind is, um, is maybe you remember his disagreement with St. Augustine in The Four Loves. Right? The, the, the only time Lewis publicly, um, timidly, uh, but courageously decides to go against his, his, his master, is one of his theological mentors, um, Augustine on an important point concerning love and he thinks it's so important that he has to voice his objection and, and you, maybe you remember this bit but it, it was about well not darkness but um, vulnerability in love because mm -hmm. I think he mis misreads and misunderstands Augustine in and uh, misremembers reading Augustine years ago had let a bad taste in his mouth and he's he's critiquing this memory of the bad taste but whether or not he understood Augustine correctly the issue he raises is really important and so he basically thinks Augustine is saying that as we progress in love the less vulnerable we, we become mm -hmm. and and overt grief in love or friendship in this case in augustine's example is a sign of imperfect love or incomplete uh immature love that hasn't hasn't really evolved into its full potential and lewis says no this is absolutely 
wrong. This is far from Christianity and uh, appeals to his sense of security and limited liabilities, all that stuff. But um, he's a, well, a thousand miles away from the spirit of Christ. And, and so he objects to Augustine or his reading of Augustine and, and just says that vulnerability is organic to love. There's and in Narnia, right, we're told that it's not only is it right to cry for what, what do you remember? Not it was right, not not only right to cry for the loss of Narnia, but maybe even wrong not to cry. <laughs> he turns Augustine's reading of tears upside down and says that you know sometimes not shedding tears is is a bad spiritual symptom. <laughs> I, when, I, when I think about this question, it's a great question. Thank you so much for uh, directing our attention there because I think it's an important one. Uh, when I think of, of Lewis and grief and, and friendship, I can't help thinking of his description of what he felt when his mother died. And he talks about he and his brother being like two urchins huddled together for warmth, right? The, the great continent had sunk like Atlantis. But, but those two events are very closely tied for Lewis, his clinging to his brother, like a life preserver almost, right? And then the loss of the mother, like the loss of a continent. So uh, it seems to me that in grief, um, that there is that impulse to kind of reach out and to find a connection. I see that also in a couple of other uh, instances, for example, um, in uh, A Grief Observed, right? At the other, sort of the other end of his life when he's dealing with difficulty, he cries out to God very, very specifically and precisely. And there's that sort of clinging and reaching out. There's that, that kind of outward, um, impulse uh, there too. And so I think that there's something in him that really does see the consolation that comes uh, in connection in times of grief and even in times of anger, uh, that even then uh, there's not as so much an isolating impulse as a connecting impulse. There's a danger, I think, to love, right? I don't think there's, there's any, that danger is never hidden in, in Lewis's work I think are you speaking risk. personally or are you speaking for Lewis <laughs> well done well I mean <laughs> you know that no then that moment in in a grief observed after he critiqued Augustine right you know this you know um you know cancer 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 my mother my father my wife you know it's just it's it's the least poetic and yet so full of meaning that that one that one phrase you know because he, he's just taught, you know, there's a weariness to the to the having loved and lost and um, and yet the, the risk is is there. And I think the great divorce shows pretty well what happens to someone who chooses not to risk. These people end up wrapping themselves up, encasing themselves from the world. Right. Uh, so you end up uh, um, it's a risk either way, but there's, <laughs> you know, uh, building up, you know, so, you know, playing guitar to build up scabs on the strings right that the scabs protect from the pain uh well, well that 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 can be a life damaging thing but the scabs are awfully tempting at times right to 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 seal up uh what is it to seal up our heart against the world is that the phrase i can't remember if that's the exact phrase yeah um, well, time is running out i'm going to need to head out fairly soon i'm afraid yeah, yeah no that's great yeah no we appreciate it uh 
uh, you know, uh, um, just a, a, some co some comments here. Yeah, and and if you have to slide out, that's great. Someone says, you know, we should be have heard uh, Dr. Glyer's lecture on first dates. You know, that kind of a good launching point. Uh, and uh, and so there's uh, those things. And then before you, you slide out, I do want to note a a thing uh, from Daniel here who talks about going back to your comments on friendship and collaboration and things as shared experiences build relationships even when they're not quest driven. Um, and I guess this is more the conversation, you know, yeah. shared creativity feeds another shared creativity, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then goes from talking about, uh, Daniel goes from talking about the inklings to the Algonquin round table or pre-Raphaelite artists and other writing groups and and it is notable you know i talked about ellen montgomery she was absolutely alone in her literary endeavor she she had a lifetime of work with with no literary friends all by herself and um and you know it's probably not accidental that you know there was a manuscript delivered to her her, her um publisher that that tears down all her work delivered on the last on the day she died right uh, because she just couldn't bear uh the world anymore and i think those things can be connected and friendship could have played that kind of um transformational role uh role for her um and daniel also mentions the ebb and flow of groups of friends will closer and then further apart and support and criticism difference and change and adaptation and, and context and those sorts of things are, are important important as well so are you, are you going to slide out Diana, sorry. I have to. I'm so sorry. Thanks no, for the invitation. It's so good to, uh, Jason. It's good to see you uh, yeah. in, in person, more or less. Yeah, and, that's right. And we'll uh, we're getting there. In <laughs> university in June. You'll yeah, we'll see you in June. Yeah. Full experience. Yeah. It'll be a great party at Taylor. I hope to meet many of the students as well. So thank you for the opportunity. That's good. Okay, Thanks, Thanks so much, okay. Diana. Bye. Good stuff. And so. Um, yeah, and there were thanks that are coming in for Diana as well. Uh, so that will be um, th that will be uh, something we want to consider. Now, I, I want to throw a question to you from Gnome. Uh, how, yeah. how, uh, Jason? How much is equality? Uh, how, how? So, tell me. Thinking about equality, is that essential for philia? Do friends need to be equals, or can there be inequality in that relationship? Oh, that's a that's a really difficult question. What do we mean by equality? Uh, could you specify what kind of equality are we talking about? So, okay, yeah. So that's uh, that that would be that would be a good a, a good thing to challenge. So, um, yeah. So, like, uh, uh, Rich follows it up uh, with a with a point. You know, we we talked about we had Professor Sarah Brown lecture about. Uh, friendship in the Lord of the Rings last week, and she talked about the relationship of Sam and Frodo, which is not exactly one of friend equality, but it's really more like, you know, the squire, you know, the knight and the and and the the squire or the the, the warrior and the Batman or something like that. So there's this kind of supportive role that's there rather than one of friendship, and yet there is a sense in in Lewis's work where there has to be kind of the at least the you know there can't, there can't be something coercive about friendship right so so that kind of hierarchy is problematic so 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 can how does that how does that work so, coercive so by equality um what do we mean do we mean that one needs the other more is is that an 
Well, yeah, I think I think I think we see relationships struggle when that's you know when that's the case anyway, right? I don't know, maybe not in storge uh, family friendships, uh, family relationships, but that's certainly the case in in a lot of uh, fr friendships. You know, if if you know what or or uh, lovers, right? When one person needs the other more, that that can be a that can be a challenging thing, yeah. And and, and we can open this up. Uh, Noam, do you want to speak to that and just clarify that question a little bit more? Because equality is a big word. <clears throat> like, what do we mean by it? Um, uh, Aristotle, Aristotle says no. Fr friendship is requires equality, and by that, I think he means more like status in society. You know, yeah. a, a slave must be a friend with a slave, right? Yeah. Um, then the Christian answer, I mean, apparently we can be friends with God, <laughs> the creator of a universe. Now, there's a disparity there. Uh, so that's a very different kind of understanding of friendship. Um, well, let's have, so, let's, yeah. actually, let's have let's have Noam, Noam push in on that, because I think it's a it's a uh, interesting question. Uh, Noam, do you want to speak to that just briefly? Sure. Um... Maybe I'll start with the motivation that got me to the question in the first place. Hmm. I see Lewis's for love um, as being described from, and I'm going to use a very provocative word here, egoistic point of view. He okay. looks and points, how do I fit in that relationship? And I wanted to take a step back and say, okay, if it's not me in the relationship, if I look at the relationship from the outside, do I see things that I don't see when I describe the relationship for, from the same point of view that Lewis does? For example, if I have two, if two friends are talking and one of them is the one who initiates the conversation all the time, will that be a philia? in Lewis's terms, mm. would it be from one member of a uh, relationship of Philia and not for the other? Does it has to be, can I be your friend and you not be mine? So that yeah. was the, the motivation of starting to ask about equality from that perspective. If you look from the outside, do two friends need to play sort of similar roles? Can we break this up? That, that was the motivation for for the question yeah thanks yeah and and jason i think you you already started to speak to that but do you want do you want to follow up that with that any more specifically yeah. i'm reminded of a, a passage in in um in this book this by the way is the <laughs> this is the first edition i'd let i'd pass it around if i could and you could flip through the the pages and you know, the smell of old books is like a time capsule, a time machine. It goes, it takes you back to 1950s, 60s. Uh, but I'm reminded of um, a passage where, um, um, uh, in The Four Loves, where Lewis says that, oh, hold on. No one, rem remind me what, oh yes, you, you're, the last thing you said in your, in your comment just now, the outside perspective. Oh, I remember. Yes. So there's in the chapter of friendship, I think Lewis claims that when one friend has to help the other, 
so there's a kind of a, a a unilateral dependency one is able to help the other and in one way there's a temporary inequality um which is a derogative term i mean if you fall in the fall in the river and i i'm still standing you know i'm in a position to pull you up does that make us unequal well maybe for a for a while uh, but it doesn't it's not the heart of our relationship or our friendship you know, if i fall into the river you'll help me up um, but lewis says something like these are interruptions of friendship remember that bit that um, when one is in debt to the other it's kind of an embarrassment or an interruption and when when you say oh don't mention it you mean it literally let's not talk about it let's not talk about this this thing that i did to you to help you and uh, um let's let's get let's get back to our relationship which is free which is uncoerced which isn't dependent on debts or your gratitude to me and so there is this there is this this um this gut instinct this this push away from um dependencies in friendship which may kind of which may color the friendship or or mar them um, mm. if they get out of hand so i think i think that's a that's a and i'm glad to use that language um and so kate was just going to just when you said friendship with god she was going to quote john 15 15 on, on the same thing so so she really is kind of right, right with us today emily d says you know i was recently reading till we have faces and the fox tells Orwell that friends must be free right in this case the fox recognizes coercion could be detrimental to friend to to the relationship and so so those are kind of two dynamics right you know uh um but, you know there's the question um yeah you know and in kate's uh kate says you know this is a question that might be a good one uh, about the marauders from the potter world right you know where peter pettigrew wasn't a full friend and wasn't equal to them uh even though each is dynamically diverse uh he wasn't equal in the same kind of way you know and daniel says you know the professors who's friend with a farmer can be equal as people or men when they see each other as stuff but of course there's actually another dynamic that goes on socially and i wonder mm -hmm. if we could use jason that image in you know in the the uh, a grief observe which is written not long after the four loves and is sort of joy davidman you know, contented, right? So the four loves is written with Joy Davidman and his elbow, and and the grief, a grief observed is in response to Joy's death. You know, where Lewis talks about, you know, he changes the dynamic. You know, you're my captain, you're my comrade, you're my mistress, you're my lover, you're my master, you're my mate. You know, all this kind of, you know, these different things. My captain, you know, there's, and and he talks elsewhere about that. There's actually a dance of inequalities or you know yeah. so that yeah so lewis wouldn't doesn't resisted the idea of equality because i think in his culture the word sameness was walking around in in that idea so equality was something that was same right as in, in four apples and four apples or four kinds of fruit and four kinds of fruit you know that's equal but equality is kind of diversity bound up with a sense of the other being, you know, different and separate was really important to, to Lewis, and that 
best gets kind of captured with this dance, right? The you know where where all kinds of different things. What does it say in Paralandra where where all things are moving out from the center and yet all is this all is in the center, right? This this kind of contrasting, kind of uh, uh, pulling together of things. Does that does that does that make sense? You know where where you know Noam's right. You know domination is problematic. You're right. Death is problematic. Uh, you know social status doesn't have to be problematic and that's clearly an inequality right uh, so yeah we want to hold these two things together somehow right you know lewis's understanding of friendship is surprisingly it's surprisingly modern modern it's it's very inclusive if you think about it when he highlights the naked personalities and uh, friends you know aren't interested in, the, in each other's paychecks, all right? You don't have to be a white, middle-class, well-educated um, Oxford Don to be my friend. Hmm. This, is, this is very inclusive. He is breaking boundaries in the, in the talks, the radio talks that preceded the book, even lists nationality as one of these things that friendship doesn't care about. Is exaggerating, doesn't care about meaning that your nationality is 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 not a uh, is is not um, uh, doesn't bar our friendship. Yeah, uh, and I don't think maybe I don't think he's given credit um, enough for the inclusivity of his quite Catholic understanding of friendship in in the. the Minor case C. Minor case C, yeah. Minor so case, yeah. This and that's kind of what this book is about. It's the taste for the other by Gilbert Mylander or Mylander or whatever, where he's really, you know, really drove for me how important other like distinctiveness or difference and diversity is in relationships in church in society and those sorts of things and um that that love because i think we define diversity just a wee bit different today but yeah. still there's at the root something that's shared takako here says talks about you know we will often feel in, inferior to our our best friends uh and maybe even lucky to be their friends right and so yeah. that's another dynamic of equality inequality where we want to imagine ourselves as un, un, unequal right you know that We've lucked out, you know, to, you know, uh, there was something serendipitous or providential. They're going to call me out. They're going to call me out soon. I don't belong here. Like yeah, that's that. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's and not uh, identity crisis, but, you know, that kind of, you know. Imposter syndrome in friendship. Yeah, that's right. Academics that's right. talk about imposter syndrome and students talk about imposter syndrome where you, where you think everybody else is smarter than you and you don't belong here. And it's some sort of fluke that allowed you to enter this this institution and so maybe there's in in in, uh, in some circles of friendship you have this imposter syndrome as well like i am i am lucky to to call yeah. these people friends i don't know what they get from me but man just allow me to tag along for a couple more years please and yeah i want to ask you uh, brenton because we maybe you could help me out with this and others might find this interesting as well um we we refer to a lot of fiction. We've talked about, mm -hmm. uh, well, Narnia, obviously. We mentioned uh, the great divorce. A grief observed, you know, a, a pro approaches fiction. Lewis, it's not strictly autobiographical. We don't know. Lewis deliberately 
deliberately invented some stuff, exaggerated other things and downplayed other things to hide his identity. Um, but it is still, it's closer to biography than it is to fiction. But so my, my question as a scholar is, is how do we make sure we're not reading into the fiction of authors, opinions, say about friendship, that the authors themselves personally may not have endorsed, right? This is a perennial problem um, in in scholarship, and and um, and so I, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to say it. Is it? Does anyone even know if there's a if the 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 rule or the principle has been coined? Um, I don't know what the word would be, but I'll describe it. In, in biblical terms, it's doing ex exegesis instead of eisegesis. You, you actually look at your source and you pull out stuff, exegesis. You pull out stuff that are genuinely there instead of eisegesis, which you read into your sources that may or may not be there and, and which is a bit irresponsible from the scholarship point of view and so when we think when we ask questions like what did tolkien think of friendship what did lewis think think of erotic love oh well in narnia and the lord of the rings this or that this is i'm not sure if this is the best way to do it so we need the first thing to do is to establish the answers using more straightforward biographical material um, and only then only then then you can corroborate then you can see applications of these ideas um, or even contradictions in in the literature in the fictional literature not not vice versa so I wonder do you Brenton or does anyone out there know if if um, um, Literary theory has coined this principle. Is there a is there a handy shorthand that I can that I could use? Yeah, well, Lewis Lewis actually coined it uh, himself. Not personal heresy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mean that, right? You're you're asking the question of of what he he wanted to do was challenge the way that we were reading through. You know, we were reading through to the author that sits behind the text, and he wanted to challenge that because in a poem, you know, the poem could be about you know, st you know, storming the hill and courage and storming the hill. It didn't mean that the poet was courageous, right? Or it yeah. didn't mean, or even that the poet was pa patriotic or or, or non-pacifistic. It just meant that in the poem, the you know, the person storming the hill. And so I think the caution that he gives in the personal heresy is really kind of helpful. Uh, but uh, I guess a, cu a couple of uh, you kind of answer it yourself. One is we would want to in in you know. You know, in this case, we can ask the so we're gonna when I'm done answering this question here, which I'm sure I'll answer it, no one will ever have to ask the question again. Uh, when we're done, we're done this part of the discussion. What I'm gonna do to close off because we're coming down to the bottom of the half hour here to close off, what I want you folks to do is put in your kind of favorite or most disturbing or something moment of Narnia and friendship, and you can even extend out to kind of the Lewis and friends if you want to do something from Tolkien or or from one of the readers of Lewis, you know, Madeline Langle or or, or uh, you know 
um, uh, Harry Potter or something like that. So you go ahead and do that. Put that in the boxes there. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you want to share it, then you go ahead and put your, your hand up. And this will be rapid fire. This is super quick. We want to finish off the hour. But I think, uh, you know, Kate says text, textual respect. I think what we do is, you know, you know, there's a there's a point um, in Magician's Nephew where Lewis describes what a king will be. You know, first in the battle. You know, the person that will eat the least food at the banquets when there's times of want, but will have the greatest smile on his face. You know, you know, he has all these values of kingship. Are those Lewis's values of kingship? I think to say that we have to co correlate with his biography. And so I think, yeah. So I think there's a that you know until then we're, we're playing with possibilities mm -hmm. however we can say you know the text says this right. we just don't know what the value of of the text is you know you know when one of the characters lucy or susan says you know boys are the worst you know um you know well i don't know that lewis thought that boys were the worst i think you know yeah. you know that they were he was being playful and so i think there's a caution there and so that's kind of the way that that i approach it and we always kind of keep keep correlating it back. But Lewis did say in Allegory of Love that, you know, he was in that project reading through the text to the culture that existed there behind it. And so there was a whole school of literary criticism, literary theory that used Lewis's personal heresy to launch a text only world. But Lewis himself didn't trap himself with the text. The discarded image, Allegory of Love, uh, the Oxford History of English Literature in the 16th century. Six, uh, these were books that that Lewis was really interested in the culture there. So he is reading through the books, but he's he's cautious about that when it comes to the to the author. And but we have quite a lot about you know, Lewis's life, so we have some ability to play with play with that. Um, and that's that's how I do it in my work. I'd be uncomfortable. So in 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 when I write, I tend to say you know give a kind of an you know, maybe a teaser from the fiction or the poetry, then the nonfiction kind of exegesis, and then I'll I'll use fiction as the the examples, right? You know, that that's how I want to do. But even in scripture we have this problem, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are are speaking, you know, uh you, you know, if one of the one of the, the kings in Daniel says, you know, you know, throw them into the fire, I don't think we're supposed to go around looking for young Jewish you know, uh, you know, scholars and and trying to cast them into furnaces. I think generally we would say that the that wasn't the command for us in all times, right? So we're always doing this. I think asking who's speaking, who's and who, to whom are they speaking, uh, and where where do we sit as the reader, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've understood personal heresy slightly different differently. It's almost like the the reverse of personal heresy. That I'm that I'm trying to capture, like I'm trying to find a word for the reverse of personal heresy. If the personal heresy is this, which Lewis objected to, this idea that you need to know stuff about, you need to know intimate biographical details about the author in order yeah. to really to to understand the text. Um, and he says, no, no. You look at the text. The text speaks for itself. It has value in itself. What I'm trying to find, this is why I'm kind of, I'm, I'm unsure about whether personal heresy captures it. I'm trying to find a word for the process in which you kind of, you bracket the literature and you just look at the man, the woman, the author, um, and, and you establish 
your ideas first using biographical sources and then you have this canvas against which you can then evaluate fiction that they wrote and, uh, and parse and differentiate between what they actually believe personally and what they just put in put in their characters yeah it's i think i don't know that there's a word for it to be to be fair i just talk about integrative reading um what do you talk about integrative to integrate integrative reading integrative and it's reading. yeah it's it's unsexy it's what good historians do it's good. It's it's what good text critics do, which is simply, you know, we don't claim what we what we have no method for um, affirming, you know, and 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 that and that includes. It doesn't mean a reader can't say, you know, you know, I was moved by this moment in this text, and this is what it means to me. We're not saying that. We're simply talking about when people want to push through and paint upon the the canvas of the art the author's life. Uh, the thing that they read from the text can be can be different because Lewis is, yeah, Lewis is hiding himself and revealing himself all over the place in the text. Yeah, all right? the time. Yeah. And you and I, we should come up with a sexy. Yeah, I'll come up with a sexy title. You know, the, the Lepiarvi approach. Okay, so let's. So what I'm doing is uh, you can raise your hand or you can put it in the comment box and we'll finish this off because I think this is a great way of doing this. Uh, what are the kind of for you the favorite or the kind of more problematic moments of Narnia and friendship? Or you can extend out and we can include some other things. And I'll just kind of read some of these things up here. Um, I do want to know, you know, Kate said, you know, the diversity question and the question of the other and the importance of otherness, of course, look at reap it cheap and use this right can you have two more diametrically opposed figures who then become uh collegial uh and, and close as time goes on uh when it can, so thinking of friendship and maybe problematic you know Noam says the problem of susan i think there's some great questions to ask there uh when it because friendship with narnia is kind of one of the themes that that comes up in that thing there she's no longer a friend of narnia kate says i love the awkward friendship between Aravis and Shasta. That's a great, I think that's a great, and isn't it intriguing the boy-girl friendships that take place in, uh, throughout Narnia? Um, you know, we're teaching later, uh, actually in about half an hour, we're teaching, we're going through Catherine Patterson's Bridge to Terabithia, and it was considered this breakout book for talking about boy-girl friendships that weren't romantic necessarily. Well, I don't know, I think Narnia's just kind of filled with them, you know, not oh, yeah. that, not to take away from this. Another you know, question is inclusivity, right? So that's yeah. another, another barrier that he breaks, uh, friendship between the sexes. That's right, yeah. And Emily A says, you know, the moment in the silver chair when Jill and Eustace call each other by their first names, right? Really kind of an important important point. The bell, uh, Donald. Yeah, Donald G says, the bell on the table in the magician's moment is that that moment of the greatest unknown danger, right? And their friendship is so tested kind of in that particular moment, right? Uh, Don, Daniel moves out a little bit uh, to George MacDonald with Donald Grant and uh, Gibby. Uh, and uh, those are great friendship books. And uh, Donald Grant, you should know that part of the series that um, uh, uh, that there's a new translation series by David Jack that's been David Jacks or David Jack that's been coming out. The Donald Grant was just published this this week. They're beautifully designed, and they have the Scots stuff in translation with the English stuff, so you can find those now in a way that you haven't been able to find them for quite some time. You know, Aslan and Diggory both crying because Diggory's mother's ill. 
right? There's real, you know, a comradeship, a type of friendship in a moment of darkness, Gabriel says. Yeah, that's a, a lovely, lovely moment there. When Peter yeah. declares it's, yeah, Kate says, when Peter declares it's, that Susan's no longer a friend of Narnia, uh, certainly. Um, Daniel, there's always a certain element of fiction in looking back, but also in self-revelation from the writers themselves. Memory, interpretation, uh, vary from the fact of uh, fact by nature even when well meant and i think we could do maybe we'll have a, we'll have to talk about the personal heresy and the unsexy literary theory uh of jason and brenton we'll talk about we'll have to do a session an open session on that on reading well so um i think we should call it the dickinson principle but it's but it's useful yeah no it's like i've been harp i harp like I'm really hard on students about it and I'm really hard on critics about it, but only because so many have done it so badly. But this is what good historians, good readers, good critics have done, you know, without saying it out loud for a long time. So I don't think, um, and Daniel says there could be, you know, legend and rumor, you know, are in publishing, there's a shock value that we have to be careful of, right? Uh, impersonal orthodoxy, Kate says, as a response to the personal heresy. <laughs> you know, impersonal no, orthodoxy. Yeah, that's right. And and Noam asked the question of our authorial intent, which is sort of bound up on that. Oh, there's all kinds of great comments here. You know, integration versus dissection, K degrees is good. And we read into things where we are, Daniel says. Yeah, good. All right. So back to the friendship stuff. That's I actually am really tempted to go down that road, but I really want to close this off to, to honor the time. Jamie says, you know, this is not a friend of, uh, of Lewis, but one of my favorite character friendships is Alcott's eight cousins. So Louisa May Alcott's Eight Cousins Rose begins as a completely isolated orphan who um, finds herself surrounded by eight male cousins and the relationship she develops with each of the cousins unique and eventually marries one of them. And that's OK back you know, when Louisa May Alcott's writing. Uh, and she surprises her aunt by saying that the person she truly appreciates is Phoebe, a maid in the household who doesn't measure up. Uh, to everybody else in the family. Yeah, so there's a real kind of challenge of social dynamics, you know, rethinking all those kind of relational matrices to play off a phrase that, that Jason used earlier in the hour. Um, and Takako said, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'll end with that one, Takako. Uh, and Dennis, yeah, yeah, David Jack, not David Jacks. Um, and uh, yeah, you have to, uh, you know, the auto mechanic imagery of Diana, we don't wanna forget that when we're doing good reading, you know, so. All right, so uh, yeah, okay, so good, yeah. So, so Daniel, I didn't know that we met at Tellier. They're great to to reconnect with you there. And I do. Takako says, you know, and I've been curious about it. I, I have some ideas of what we're talking about. Takako wants to know what that thing is on the wall behind you. <laughs> <laughs> it is birch. Oh, uh, yeah. It is birch. Um, what do you call it? Birch? birch bark thank you uh, yeah, birch bark, yeah. yeah it's kind of neat isn't it yeah yeah that's so canadian you just i just want to say it may be finished too it's also finished yeah absolutely yeah that's it's also finished but yeah that's so like kind of to to take take the woods that you can't go to in winter and put in your home is a great way to kind of, <laughs> kind of it's almost huggy right you know there's kind of the uh you know huggy licked uh, kind of uh thing but of course that's not finished so all right so um okay that's it i want to close things off thank you everyone so i want to thank diana glyer make sure you take uh, check out her books if you're interested in the scholarly stuff 
the company they keep if you're interested in the more personal uh, kind of application stuff her bandersnatch book is pretty cool uh, Jason Lepiarvi's uh, uh, thesis is actually available for free he's decided to, to let it out for free on academia and you can also get that through the show notes and through my own uh, the blog where we did the announcements and we'll make sure that's included at the end with some um, social media contact uh, of course uh, scholars uh, do a lot of the work that they do really for free and often pay to do it so make sure you take the opportunity to share their work uh, and engage with it in your own uh, reading and scholarship uh, so that you have a chance to to make that that uh, uh, connection there. Daniel says, by the way, you're with that birch bark, you're halfway to making your own book, uh, boat. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Um, and there's some thanks coming in to Jason and uh, uh, Jason and um, and Diana there. And so thanks everybody. Watch for this on uh, Signum University's YouTube channel uh, within the next week or so. And and if you have other ideas for things you want us to talk about, uh, send us a note. And of course, you know we are a university with an amazing MA and language and literature uh, with five great streams of programs uh, plus I'm trying to s secretly create an entire you know rebellious CS Lewis uh, um, minor so or major so so keep, keep yeah, that's right. exactly keep on that uh, because it can be a secret that's right uh, it can be a lot of fun thanks everybody good job folks and uh, we'll see you on the other side bye-bye now thanks